Today, we are so excited to have Tamara Ryan on our podcast. Tamara is the CEO of Women's Bean Project, a social enterprise that provides transitional employment while operating a food manufacturing business to women attempting to break the cycle of chronic unemployment and poverty. Tamara is a former partner and board member for Social Venture Partners Denver and the Social Enterprise Alliance, and is on the Council of Advisors for the Graduate School of Social Work at the University of Denver. Congressman Mike Kaufman recognized Tamara's servant leadership and entered it into the congressional record of the 115th Congress second session in May 2018. She was honored by the Colorado Women's Chamber of Commerce as one of the top 25 most powerful women in Colorado and is part of the American Enterprise Institute Leadership Network. She was a presenter at TEDx Mile High and is a highly sought-after speaker for topics such as compassionate leadership and social enterprise. Tamara is the author of The Third Law, a book which highlights the societal obstacles and internal demons that must be overcome for marginalized women to change their lives. The Third Law has won numerous awards for women and minorities in business and social activism. She is currently working on her second book, Followship, How to Be a Leader Worth Following. This summer, Women's Bean Project will be moving to a new facility twice the size of its current location. This will allow the organization to expand its social enterprise and program offerings to serve more women better. So if you are familiar with Social Enterprise Alliance, um, if you've been in our network for a while and you're a member or have been a member, then you probably know about Summit. Summit is kind of how SEA came into being in the first place. The first ever Summit, I think it was called like the convening, um, took place in 1998 as a gathering place for social entrepreneurs that kind of grew and evolved into Social Enterprise Alliance. So we we like to uh, stay true to our roots. And so we are so excited to finally be hosting another summit. So Summit 2022 Business as Unusual is taking place virtually on November 9th through 11th. And the great thing about a virtual event like this is, you know, in the past attendees have been limited by geography, travel costs, and that kind of thing. But we're so excited to have an incredible virtual platform to bring you this awesome, awesome online event. Event. And uh, it's really, you know, all I'm saying is there's nothing stopping you from coming. So we would absolutely love, love, love to see you there. Um, and just to chat a little bit about some of what we'll be talking about at Summit, we have four tracks and they are human wellness, which is how do social enterprises create and foster human wellness through equity, inclusion, self-care, employee health, and through everyday practices, and what can we learn from each other. We'll also be talking about advocacy and policy. How can we better advocate for public understanding of the social enterprise movement in the U.S.? And how do we change policy and collaborate to bring new opportunities like procurement and certification to social enterprises? Um, Our third track is access to markets, in which we'll talk about what ways social enterprises can access new markets and how we can leverage online marketplaces, main street stores, collaborations, procurement, and selling to each other uh, to expand our impact. And we'll learn about the latest local, national, and regional developments in this space. And lastly, we want to talk about innovative and adaptive 
practices. So how did social enterprises pivot during COVID? How can we develop new and innovative finance and business models like stakeholder ownership, cooperatives, peer investments uh, to further our impact? So we're really excited to convene around these topics. We're also really excited because we've been working so hard on our programming, and we'll be making a lot of announcements in the coming weeks about speakers and sessions that we're putting together. Um, But right now, we have confirmed our two keynote speakers. So we'll be featuring Rodney Foxworth, the CEO of Common Futures, and Wendy Gonzalez, the CEO of Sama. Um, These are incredible, incredible folks in the social enterprise space, really awesome speakers, really, really inspiring content. And so you definitely don't want to miss it. And then finally, this is also a really great space to promote the work that you're doing. So we have virtual marketplace booths that are open. We'll have like a a kind of marketplace built into our online event platform. And so this is a really awesome and unique way to showcase your mission-driven brand and connect with hundreds of other social enterprise enthusiasts, practitioners, supporters, and really be able to share your products, your services, your mission. So that's a fantastic opportunity as well. So I know I've talked for a long time here, but if any of these things interest you, um, please, please, please uh, visit our website, socialenterprise.us. There's a tab that says Summit 2022. Go ahead and click on that. There's more information, um, a link to register and buy your tickets. For a three-day event like this, uh, tickets, I think, are really reasonably priced. So we definitely, definitely want you to take advantage of this opportunity. Um, and then if you have any questions, If you want to learn more about the marketplace opportunity and how to get signed up for that, if you are interested in sponsoring Summit 2022, we're still looking for a few more sponsors, please don't hesitate to reach out to me at info at socialenterprise.us. We look forward to seeing you there. It's going to be a really fantastic event and it's coming up quick. So get your tickets soon. Well, Tamara, it's so good to have you here with us on the podcast today. We're so excited to talk more with you about uh, Women's Bean Project. Great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just why don't we start with just the, the kind of quick mission of Women's Bean Project, as well as you know your role, your history with the organization, just to give some context. Well, one of the first things about Women's Bean Project for people to know is that we were founded in 1989. So in some ways, it feels a bit like being the OG of social enterprise because, you know, we were founded uh, really at a time when we didn't yet have a name for what we did. And there were certainly other groups that that had businesses with a mission, um, but we were kind of an anomaly at the time. We believe that all women have the power to transform their lives through employment. So we hire women experiencing chronic unemployment. And while they're working for us for six to nine months, we teach them the skills needed to get and keep a job in the community. So the way we do that is we split their time. 70% of their paid time is spent working in our food manufacturing business. We started with bean soup mix, and that's where our name comes from. But today have about 50 different food products that we sell all across the country. They spend 70% of their paid time working in the food manufacturing business, and then 30% of their paid time in doing what we call the U job, the YOU job, where they're working on themselves. And I think, honestly, I think that's probably where the most 
opportunity and growth happens because it's time that is dedicated to them looking at their histories of trauma and looking at ways to to avoid relapse and working on building their foundation of their basic needs. And ultimately, those are going to be the things that they were the things that got in the way of them keeping a job in the past and would be the things in the future that would keep them from being able to keep the job. At the end of this six to nine month period, they graduate and move on to jobs in the community. And those are going to be career entry-level jobs. So a job with an opportunity for advancement and benefits, and really where the employer cares that she comes to work every day. And most often, that is the first time a woman we hire has had a job like that. We look for women who have struggled to keep a job. Typically, they haven't had a job longer than a year in their lifetime, though the average age is 38. So it's long histories of addiction and incarceration and domestic violence and homelessness and all the things that get in the way of getting and keeping employment. I love that graduating model um, just because, you know, that, like that's what people need is just a, a chance to catch their breath almost and, and get on their feet to be able to enter into the workspace uh, or whatever segment of life that they're working towards. Has that always been a part of the Women's Mean Project? It has been. And it's always been uh, the idea that we are this place between your past and your future. So someone comes to us and we I remember one time a woman said to me, you know, this is the first time in my life that someone's been more concerned about my future than my past. And we have the philosophy that everybody's here for a reason. And no one person's reason is better or worse than another's. But what we're really focused on is what comes next. And so that graduation is a really nice sort of way to wrap up all the work that someone's done and say, now you're starting the rest of your life. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah. I love that, that framework of thinking too. And it's just a small shift really to think about looking forward instead of looking backwards, but it's just monumentous. Um, Kind of just another quick follow-up with that. Do you ceremonialize that graduation? Is it something? Oh, that's cool. Yes, we do. (laughs) In fact, we have caps and gowns. We have a bunch of different colors of caps and gowns. So, uh, So we let each woman, even if someone is graduating around the same time, each woman has her own graduation ceremony and we play pomp and circumstance. And then she gets to choose the cap and gown and whichever color she'd like to wear. And then uh, she has an opportunity. She gets awarded some parting gifts. She gets a cool backpack and she gets uh, a certificate and a whole bunch of things that community members have contributed to graduation, Mm. meaning outside of being project people in the community. Um, And then we, we have an opportunity for her to talk to the rest of the group. Because there's always there are always women who are still in the program, and it's her opportunity to talk with them about what she got out of the program, perhaps why they should stick with it, uh, you know what her journey has been, and then it's our opportunity to give her props. Um, and she invites family members. It's it's actually a pretty cool thing. That's awesome. That's so great. And I love, I love that you're, you know, incorporating this peer support model too, because I think really so much transformative work takes place within the community um, instead of within isolation. And so the fact that these women are all in it together as they graduate, they're able to encourage one another. That's really special. That's really awesome. 
I think it's super powerful to bring women together also. Mm. So we started, uh, our founder was volunteering at a daytime homeless shelter for women and kids. And what she saw was that women would come during the day to use the services of the shelter. And then often they'd get a job and they'd leave and she wouldn't see them for a while. But eventually she kept seeing the same women coming back over and over again. And it was clear to her that there were they were caught in a cycle that they weren't able to get out of mm-hmm. that. Maybe they could get a job, but they didn't have the ability to keep it. And so she came upon the idea that if she could teach the women, the skills needed for working while actually working, that would be the cure for poverty. So for her, it was as straightforward as that, but this notion of bringing women together and having women support one another, I think creates multiple layers you know, the, our, as an organization and as our staff team, and, you know, we have a bunch of different kinds of support, but then for them to support one another while they're on the production line or while they're in programming, I think is, is what makes it really the most powerful part. Yeah. Yeah. That's phenomenal. That's so cool. I'm also curious to hear more about what happens in that, uh, you know, that you work, um, what kinds of programming takes place. It's, it, I think it ties in with a lot of what we've already covered on this podcast, which is a lot of themes around wellness and how workplaces and, and places of employment should really be focused on their employees wellness. And, and that just, yeah, ties right into that for me. So I'd love to hear a little more about that. Well, it's multiple layers in that uh, it's helping the women address their basic needs. So very often, especially right now, as most urban areas are having housing crises Mm -hmm. um, and struggling with affordable housing, we're finding that we at the very beginning have to really uh, get down and dirty and address housing and uh, help with navigating transportation and to the extent necessary, help the women get uh, access to childcare and even bigger healthcare. And so we're addressing those basic needs. And then we're also looking at adverse childhood experiences and helping the women understand what those long, what long-term impacts of ACEs are. We're doing a trauma uh, evaluation and helping her look at what her triggers might be and how to plan in advance how she might respond to those triggers. We're looking at what her triggers for relapse are. Uh, We're helping her understand how health and wellness are intertwined with chronic poverty and, you know, the past history of trauma. And so we're really trying to create a whole bunch of scaffolding and skills that she can take with her when she leaves, because, you know, at at the end of six, nine months, we're not going to be there anymore. So to the extent that she can build some tools in her toolbox where she knows how to, in the future, respond to trauma or her responses to trauma, understands how that's affected her health, both long-term and even short-term. So it's really trying to think of her as a whole person. And I, I suspect you've probably talked on previous podcasts about the fact that people bring their whole selves to work, but historically yeah. as employers, we don't treat the whole self. You know, we're treating the worker and then we're expecting the, all the other things to not show up at work. And that's just not realistic. No, without question. I mean, I'm not sure I've mentioned it in this podcast, but I have a two and four year old. And today happens to be a day where I was in charge of childcare, And, you know, just with summertime and pivoting and then to school and just kind of some of those logistics. And I'm able to record this podcast because I have a scaffolding in place where I could 
call my mom real quick, like, Hey, can you give me an hour here to help me, you know, get this through. And, and these are the moments for me where my privilege just shows up left and right. And, and I just can't understand um, and can't fathom what it would be like to, to be a single caregiver, to, you know, to have the resources that I have, to have the scaffolding that I have, uh, even with transportation and things like that, to do the job that I need to do. And so I think what you're doing is, is quite, quite a gift for some women to, to really build that structure. Yeah. And David, I know you, you've experienced a lot with uh, your work with Laterza of just like when you invest in women, you're investing in an entire community um, because these are the women that are, you know, taking care of their children or their parents or their communities in, in all kinds of various ways. And they're able to then show up and give back to their section of the community. Yeah. Without question. I, yeah. I mean, that's certainly part of uh, what jazzes me up is just empowering women just because there is so much more of a communal aspect. You empower this woman and she tends to more so than that masculine energy tends to more so extend that care to others in her circle and others in her network. So that's, that's why things like gender gap are just so important. And, and the work of the women's bean project is, is so critical. Um, I know that you guys have done a lot recently, just you've had a huge capital campaign. You've launched a new location. Can you give us an update? Is there a grand opening or has there already been one? Tell us what's going on with women's bean project today. We are moments away from moving. So wow. uh, we're in our last few weeks. I think we'll probably move in the middle of July. And we'll have a big grand opening. Uh, August 25th is the tentative date for the, the party. Um, it's been a journey. We launched our capital campaign uh, in June of 2020. So uh, wow. That was in, of course, we were all trying to figure out what the heck was going on. Um, what was really great was we had found a building and we're doing the property in partnership with Denver Housing Authority. So this is a former car dealership and it's on two and a half acres of land in Denver, which you know is kind of unheard of to have that much land in an urban area. The building had been vacant since 2016. And we went to Denver Housing Authority because we felt that the area where the building wasn't located was, would be perfect for affordable housing, given where it's located. And so they agreed to take the lead and purchase the property in total. And then we bought the building from them. And so we are, have been renovating. And then next year, they'll start construction on family uh, transitional housing. That'll be right next door to our transitional employment, which will be really oh, awesome. So cool. And uh, it, it, so it's been, we're moving from a 10,000 square foot former firehouse to a 20,000 square foot former car dealership. So I, I guess we like themes. Uh, but what, what's awesome, awesome about this new building is that we're, as right now, we do our food production in about 2,500 square feet. The manufacturing and, um, and, uh, and storage of raw materials and all that production stuff is happening in more like 9,000 square feet. So it's just, you know, it opens us up to do any number of things and grow our business. And the, ultimately, the reason we want to grow our business is to hire more women. Sales yeah. really do create jobs. We'll have a lot of programming space that we don't have currently. We'll have a wellness area 
Wow. Um, just like we were just talking about. Um, it's it's pretty exciting because we got to, it was kind of a shell and we got to dream of what would best serve our mission and the women we serve. And, and so we got to create spaces. Oh, that's incredible. I love to hear about, you know, the really awesome, awesome partnership with, uh, you know, Denver housing as well, because just everybody working together and, you know, throwing their resources behind this um, mission. It's just outstanding. Yeah. And I really hope that, uh, that it will be way better for the neighbors. Um, it's on a major thoroughfare. The address for people wanting to look on Google Maps is 1300 West Alameda Avenue in Denver. And uh, the great thing about it is that we are, it's a major thoroughfare, commercial street, but behind us is a neighborhood, lots of homes, a Catholic school nearby. Um, and so by taking this derelict property and sort of putting it back into the community, I think it's really going to be great for, for everyone. Yeah. That's to me when, when a social enterprise is at its finest is when everybody wins like that. That's the, it seems like the, if we can always just work towards that goal where the employee wins, the employer wins, the customer wins, the neighborhood wins the community. And um, yeah, that's really exciting that that can be a part of that story. And you know, David, as a social enterprise, that's hard. Yeah, it's, it's hard to do where it to win all the way around. And uh, it often is this has come together really nicely. But a lot of times it's just so hard to do that something has to give. And, you right. know, ultimately you, the mission doesn't give. And so something else has to give. Right. Usually right. that's money. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Totally. Yeah. I always tell people that it's hard to start a business. You know, how many fail after five years and a social enterprise is like, let's let's triple the amount of rules that we play by, you know, and, and make it that much harder just because, you know, now it definitely keeps the passion going. Um, I am curious to know just like, wow, you started in 2020. So kind of at the height of, we just didn't know what the world was going to be. And we thought maybe this thing might of COVID might last a couple months. And here we are still in another wave, although it seems to be somewhat normalizing. I'm curious about, you know, how you had to, cope with COVID, what major pivots you might have had to do, um, or what you might be working through now, especially this, and this probably sounds like a good thing. Part of what COVID has created in part is a current workforce shortage where your model is all about adding to the workforce. Maybe that's an advantage right now. Yeah, there's just so many things. So uh, in March of 2020, in the first two weeks of March, our sales through our Amazon channel, we, you know, we drop ship for Amazon. Uh, we're in those two weeks, we're as much as all of 2019. And we were like, what the heck's going on? Um, and wow. so our, our product sales actually grew 43% in 2020, which was um, great and hard at the same time, because we were at the same time trying to manage how do we we were able to keep everyone employed, but we also, and we were considered an essential business because we were a food manufacturer. And yet at the same time, you know, all of our stress was higher. Our administrative staff, I, we basically sent home because we had to meet a, a requirement of no more than 25% of your total staff on site at any one time. And so it was, you know, it was just constant juggling and 
there would be a mandate from the governor and then there'd be a mandate from the mayor. And, you know, every day it felt like something new, especially in those early days when we were kind of figuring it out. So I'd say the stress was really high because of not of all the unknowns. And meanwhile, our business was going crazy. So then when we started the capital campaign, I suppose one of the advantages of that time was that no one wanted to meet in person, of course. And so we did all of our donor meetings by Zoom. And we were able to fundraise. And, you know, what you realize when you're in the middle of a capital campaign is you realize the extent to which you have or have not cultivated your donors. (laughs) And uh, we were nervous, but it turned out that we were able to raise the first million dollars um, between in that last six months of 2020, in part because we'd been talking about needing a new building and we'd been talking about, you know, uh, using Uh, the new building as a way to grow the business and serve more women enough that people were ready. And that was the key. Um, So there, there were some really challenging things about the beginning of in that time and, and emotionally and, you know, socially and all of those things. And then there were some advantages to not being able to go out and about, and we've ended up as a result, doing pretty much all of our donor meetings by Zoom um, throughout this whole thing. And we have um, we have $20,000 left to close out our campaign. And but perhaps by the time this airs, we'll have, have finished. Um, in the meantime, we also needed to sell our current building and we're under contract for that. So we're pretty close to wrapping everything up. That's awesome. But it makes me like I make it sound, you know, it, for the for um, purposes of the story, I feel like I'm wrapping up in a nice little bow. But it was <laughs> it, it wasn't always this easy. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure it's had very complicated moments and <laughs> all that. Yeah, that's that's so wild. Just to think that at the same time you're trying to keep everybody safe and follow these restrictions, your business is booming and you're trying to meet orders and um all that stuff. So that's just crazy how it all kind of shifted around the same time. I kind of wanted to ask a little bit more just about like the, you know, you mentioned your donors and capital campaign. And as you know, finances are just a huge, huge question all the time for, you know, social enterprises and finding funding and becoming sustainable. And and all of these, all of these things are always like top of mind, you know, the first things that people ask us about when they're looking for assistance and for resources, funding is number one. So um, from someone that just ran um, an almost complete, you know, very, very successful capital campaign, what kind of advice would you give to someone who is maybe in earlier stages of trying to find that um, funding to fund their social enterprise? Gosh, there's, it's sort of where to, where to start. I, sure. so when, I, I became the CEO of the Bean Project in 2003. So we were about 14 years old at the time as an, as an organization. And um, at the time, our, our sales were really tiny, like $250,000 a year. And um, we had 45 donors total. And then the rest of the funding was really grants. And um, this is my first job in the nonprofit world, but I could see already that that wasn't sustainable for a lot of reasons. And um, also as a social enterprise, I felt really strongly. We were going to a donor asking for support. I didn't wanna go to a donor 
to ask for support of a business that wasn't making money, that we really needed to work on making the business self-sufficient, even if it was essentially break even. And then we would raise money to fund programming. And so that's how we're able to have this model where we hire someone for a full-time job, even though they're not working full-time. So we're able to pay a woman when she's in a computer class. And so that makes programming a lot more sticky, right? Because she's being paid regardless. Um, and then we focused on building a business that could sustain itself and then make a small contribution to the program. Um, and then I guess the other part was we had to build our donor base. So we started thinking about the people who support us as not, you know, being donors as a separate thing from customers, as a separate thing from volunteers, but that every person we interacted with, had, we had the ability to engage them in multiple ways. So it's a lot easier to have one customer who you engage in four ways than four separate people. Uh, and then we also started a program, a fundraising program that is now called Benavon. And the idea of that is it's really kind of socializing your organization. So you get people to volunteer to introduce their friends and acquaintances and coworkers or whomever to your organization. You do that over a period of not, roughly nine months, and then you have an ask event. Probably many people who are listening have, have been to that kind of event where it doesn't cost anything to attend. And you go to the event and they make a case for their mission and then they ask for money. Well, that has grown. We've been doing that for about six, 17 years. And that has grown our donor base from 45 people to over 5,000. And we are not a big donor kind of organization. For us, a large gift is $1,000. The key to this Benevon model is that you also have people who pledge over multiple years. So if someone might come to the event and pledge $5,000, $1,000 a year for five years. The great thing about that is then you sort of have a built-in way of, of continuing to engage them um, because you don't want them to forget about you. And then the next year say, I don't remember giving a pledge. You're, so we, we built a relationship then with a whole bunch of people who give over multiple years. They become customers and then they give our products as gifts. And you know, they're just multiple ways that it mushrooms out from that one interaction. And that I think has really been the key one of the keys to our success is that it, we have these people who really believe in what we do. And then they introduce us to other people who they believe would believe in what we do. And it just goes on from there. Um, I remember when I was a kid, there was this commercial, it was a shampoo commercial. And it was this woman comes into the screen and she says, and I told two friends and I told two friends and so on and so on. It's just this sort of idea. Now we, you know, we call it going viral, but at the time it was just about, you know, socializing that you love this shampoo. Uh, that's super helpful. Just even to hear that strategy over time, I uh, immediately was picking up several things. It's like, oh, right. That's a good idea. All right. That's a good idea. And ultimately it is what adds up to all to the viralness of something is, is a lot of backend work. Usually when something goes viral, there's, there's probably a lot of work that happened beforehand to build the structure in yeah. order to, to let that happen. 
So. The one other thing I'd add, because I think sometimes it gets overlooked, is that it's really important to build your brand and your brand promise. And think about on the front end, when somebody interacts with us, uh, well, what are we saying? Or so in our, as an example for Women's Bean Project, when someone hires one of our graduates, what are the things that when she comes from Women's Bean Project, what are the things we're basically saying or the qualities we're saying she has? Well, we're, we're saying that she's uh, reliable and she'll come to work every day and on time and take direction and be a good communicator. And that's all a part of our brand promise. Um, and then when you buy our products, you're going to get a good quality, no preservatives, non-GMO, you know, uh, soup, bean soup mix. That's part of our brand promise also, but you've got to build that. And then when you've, once you've built your brand and your promise around that, then you have people who support it because they believe in who you are and what you do. And often I think we skip to the trying to get support before we've built that because that really is your foundation. And that's what you're kind of guaranteeing everybody yeah. who supports yeah. you. Yeah, I refer to that book start with why often just in business coaching, but it feels like in a social enterprise, there's the mission version of the why and there's the product version of the why, and both are equally important in, in the work that we do. So, um, so that's really cool to hear. I know that you're working on a second book. Uh, so just as we're wrapping up, could you tell us a little bit about that before we head out? I think that we are having a crisis of leadership right now. And that we, and, and research shows this to be true, that we don't trust leaders. And I think that uh, in the nonprofit realm, there are some things, at least I've learned uh, um, about how to be a leader worth following um, that I, I'd like to share. I'm uh, not to imply that I know, I know everything, um, but I've at least, I always have the attitude, I can help you avoid a whole lot of mistakes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so it's called it's called followship how to be a leader worth following and that the idea really is about how do you inspire people to be there to follow uh and and so that i expect to be finished with that close to the end of the year early next year very cool okay. we'll keep yeah. an eye out that's yeah that's really insightful um, I have one final question before we wrap it up fun one so i've purchased women's bean project, you know, food products. I've given them as gifts. They're wonderful. They're delicious. What is your go-to favorite product that y'all sell? My favorite soup mix is our split pea soup mix. And even for people who aren't big split pea fans, the spices are really awesome. Mm. Uh, but if I'm not in a soup mood, I really like our oatmeal chocolate chip cookie mix. Uh, Awesome. And, and then we have some new snacks uh, that we just launched actually right before the pandemic. And my favorite one of those is a ginger zing trail mix because it has little yummy pieces of ginger. That's great. That's so unique. I love it. <laughs> That's very cool. Well, Tamara, again, thanks for joining us today and, and your work not only in just the social enterprise sector, but also just uh, for SDA, the support that you give giving us today in this episode, as well as just the past support, being the board chair formerly and, and um, a lot of the work uh, in past in this organization has uh, 
in part brought us to where we are today. So really appreciate everything that you've done and all the the voice that you've been in the sector and, and the leadership that you've displayed. Well, thank you. It's been great to spend some time with you guys.